Hi, and welcome to the second episode of FemPop. I, as always, am your insane host, Tanya, and with me today is my guest, April. Hello, thank you for having me. Hi. Uh, So today's episode is called Manic Pixie Dream Girl Nightmare. And uh, I'm I'm introing this calm, cool, and collected because it's only going to take me about five seconds to get really enraged about this topic. Everyone knows, like, the big period of the manic pixie dream girl trope, um, which is, like, the late 90s to 2010. However, I want to start by saying that I actually think that the first manic pixie dream girl in existence was Audrey Hepburn's character in Breakfast at Tiffany's. Honestly, I have that, like, at the tippy top of my notes is Breakfast at Tiffany's, question mark? Um, and then, okay, I went back and Googled because, you know, that's how I do things. Um, and bringing up Baby is reportedly, I've never seen the movie. It's Catherine I Hepburn. I love that movie. Be, yeah, she's supposed to be the very first Manic Pixie Dream Girl, which, uh, I mean, Catherine Hepburn's whole vibe is very Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Like, the whole pants thing, the whole, like, everything I've seen her in, she's been, she's been on that note. But, like... Yep, bringing up baby. Oh my god, I love that movie so much. And now that you say that, (laughs) yes, absolutely. No, you're absolutely right because the whole movie is like Cary Grant is like this like stuck up professor, archaeologist, anthropologist, and he's like looking for like this one like dinosaur bone or something, and she's like some rich flighty whatever and she just doesn't take his like he's like too stuck up and she doesn't like take his stuff seriously and so there's like this whole crazy insane plot and then like at one point she like steals a leopard from a zoo no 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 the leopard gets free from a traveling circus and the leopard's name is baby and like oh my god yeah no that makes sense Okay, well, good night, dear listeners. That was the episode. I'll see you later. <laughs> I'm I'm livid for you. I'm so sorry. I did not mean to come in here and just like be like, you know that movie you like so much? Fuck you, Tanya. It's Manic Pixie Dream Girl. I've modeled... Uh, uh, Catherine Hepburn <laughs> is like one of my absolute icons because like She's- she gave zero fucks. Yeah. In the day. And like I... Her... Like, her character, Tracy, in uh, Philadelphia Story is, like, mm-hmm. I want to play that character so fucking badly. So good. So good. She's uh, amazing so- in that. She's amazing in everything. And, like, yes. African Queen, where she's, like, oh. the Manic Pixie Dream Girl flipped. Like, she's yes. the stuffed shirt. Yeah. I just, oh, God. She's the best. But, yeah, she was, we have her and Bringing Up Baby to thank for the, mm-hmm. the seeds of the manic pixie dream girl so there's there's that and so like they've been uh, they've been sprinkled because also like you cannot tell me that sally fucking bowls from cabaret oh my god i paint my nails green because i think it's pretty okay sally okay okay (laughs) and i say this as again sally bowls is a bucket list role of mine so that's yeah it's fine because you know what dare i say it manic pixie dream girls fun to play fun to play fun to play because they're complex and like within are they theater i mean uh, that's that's my other point (laughs) that i have like noted is like that complexity is like touched on and then they're like no none for you 
Let's go back right. to our, our hero. There is a hint of complexity. There is a hint of interesting backstory, but the woman is not the story. And so no, it's not. Fuck it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, like um Sam in Garden State. I am so here for her whole story. Like, I want to know about the ice skating. I want to know about the epilepsy and the line. I want to know all of it. But no. we don't get to hear all of it. We get to hear Zach Braff yes. for, what, 90 minutes? Now 45 what? of Zach Braff. <laughs> and Natalie Portman just over there being like this radiant, beautiful, too pure for this world performer. And then it's like... Zach Braff, like a piece of wet bread, just lands in that movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> For our listeners who don't know what we're talking about, let's Oof. set the definition of a manic pixie dream girl, first of all. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, so the manic pixie dream girl is a female character in a male-driven movie, and she's normally whimsical, always quirky. Fucking hate that word now. Fuck being quirky. <laughs> and basically... Her job in the story is to save the protagonist from himself without ever having any of her own agency. She basically just, like, comes into his life like a hurricane, saves his fucking life by teaching him to live in the moment or some fucking bullshit. And then they may end up together in the end. They may not. Who knows? It doesn't matter because our male protagonist has figured out what he needs in life and whether the woman is part of that or not, that doesn't fucking matter. And it doesn't matter yeah. what she wants. No, it, it super doesn't. Every single one of these, they never ask what she wants. That's not a thing. It, it's just her whole her whole existence is to be supportive girlfriend, kind of. But also like, I'm going to turn your world upside down and you're going to learn how to live. And, like, I wear a lot of retro Peter Pan collars and, like, walk barefoot through the forest. It's just. <laughs> if I wear shoes, it's roller skates. <laughs> and I just, I'm, I, the whole quirky thing, too. It's, like, she's not like other girls. Like, oh, no. I would dare to say that the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, like, laid the foundation for the Pick Me Girl. Yes. Like, so yeah. I I think that the natural trajectory was Manic Pixie Dream Girl, Cool Girl, Pick mm -hmm. Me Girl. Because we've also mm -hmm. got that cool girl thing, which goddamn if that fucking book slash movie Gone Girl didn't goddamn oh, nail that. God. It's so good. I I just my romantic aspirations are to find the right guy and just gone girl the shit out of him, you know? I, oh God, Rosamund Pike in that movie. But that whole monologue and that whole section of the book about the cool girl, mm -hmm. like, I had never thought of that as a thing until I got to that section. For people who haven't seen the movie or read the book, it's it's basically about the varying faces of the cool girl. Like, she doesn't have to be one specific style or one specific vibe, but she does have to be this, like, male ideal, which I think, mm -hmm. again, going back to the Manic Pixie Dream Girl is that thing, right? Right. And, like, she's not like other girls, mm -mm. you know, which, ugh, mm -mm. gag me. I can't. She's totally not like other girls. Oh, and God. so cool girl can have a lot of faces. Manny Pixie Dream Girl has a couple different variations, but they're all kind mm -hmm. of the same. They're all these alt girls who are not conventionally pretty. They're very pretty. They're mm -hmm. absolutely pretty, but they're not conventionally pretty. They usually like have colored hair 
or they're retro or they're punk or Mm -hmm. they're just whatever but they're not your typical girl next door vibe yeah there's always something some visual cue that she's different like in 500 days of summer zoe deschanel's got like that very like retro vibe Mm -hmm. like with those like 60s mod outfits ramona flowers and scott pilgrim has like the brightly colored hair so she Mm -hmm. stands out you know kate winslet in eternal sunshine god sorry no i know yeah (laughs) yeah i fucking know And I, I think that whole thing is like, again, she's not like other girls. Like, Mm-mm. she dyes her hair a fun color. So, you know, she's, she's definitely so down to clown. Oh. She's just so quirky. She plays the ukulele. Like, yeah. what? If, if, in, if at any point in this episode, you somehow lose the imagery of what a manic pixie dream girl looks like, just picture literally any Zoe Deschanel character. Mm-hmm. Any of them. Mm-hmm. It doesn't fucking matter. Even the girl in goddamn Elf. That she has made. Oh my god, she so is. She oh has made no. her career based off of Manic Pixie Dream, and I don't blame her. She plays that role really fucking well. But again, if you ever need like a visual during this episode, just pick any Zoe Deschanel character. Yeah, and she's like self aware of it too. I've read like interviews with her where she says. I don't want to be this, you know? It's interesting. Oh, and I, I absolutely get it. And so here's here's the thing that I will say about all of the movies that we'll cover is that I don't blame any one movie. And I don't think that any of these movies, well, we'll get into some of them where I think they're absolute trash, but there are <laughs> redeeming qualities of every single one of these movies. Even the ones that I hate the most, they're shot well or the acting is really Mm -hmm. good, or whatever. And I, again, I don't blame any one of these movies. If any one of these movies, like, if only, for instance, Scott Pilgrim, if that was the only movie out of this entire heap that existed, I think that this would be fine. But it's the fact that we got a solid 10 to 20 movies in the span of 20 years that idealized this toxic masculinity protagonist and this quirky dream girl, they just fucking set this cultural trend. And I know so many douchebag guys who modeled their fucking Mm -hmm. lives after these movies. And I have been, and this is one of the questions that I'm going to ask you, April, do you hate the manic pixie dream girl? Because you yourself have been like, in the past, someone has tried to make you that girl because that's why I hate her. I mean, yeah, look at absolutely. Um, I've dated a lot of um, very straight laced like tech bros in mm-hmm. the area, mm-hmm. and every single goddamn time. Do you know how many times I've been called quirky in my life by like a significant other? Every time, there has not never not been a like. Oh, well, you're just a quirky girl. No, I'm a person. <laughs> like, as are you, as are we all. Like, what? <laughs> I'm sorry, Chad, that you're boring. And the fact that I, yeah. like, have interests and hobbies that are maybe even a little bit out of the mainstream seems quirky and interesting to you because you can't get out of sight of your own fucking head and bubble. <sighs> I told y'all I was going to get mad at this one. I told you. No, like, this is this is the time. Like, I have been saving this rage as I've been watching these movies for our time together, Tanya. Yes, I want all of our listeners to know that independently, April and I 
binge watched a lot of these movies because I'd seen all of these movies at one time or another, but dear God, binge watching them like killed my soul. <laughs> yeah. Oh, can I make a confession to you? Yes. Like this is like whatever. Yes. Uh, through my like early teens into early twenties, I wanted to be the manic pixie dream girl. I was like, you know what? Let's lean into it. So when I watched these movies at that age, I was like, yes, yes. Oh my God. These women are so complex and interesting and wow, look at them. And now like, as a jaded adult woman, I watched these and I was like, I need to watch these again because I'm in a way different headspace. And my God, yeah, oh my God, it's so different. Like watching them as, and like even in like light of like our woke culture of today, you know, like yeah. I, I think it's so different. Like all of these movies fail multiple times mm-hmm. to hold up to the standards of today. so much and I and I don't blame you because also like when these movies came out like I and I think that you and I specifically probably fell into this you're my manic pixie dream girl thing because we're in theater and Mm -hmm. we are not like necessarily girl next door types I'm definitely not I have like tattoos and I have a pixie cut and whatever Mm -hmm. um and so, you know, when I was younger, I was like, oh, yeah, of course I'd want to be one of those girls because they do seem so cool and effortless. But then, like, when you actually get into relationships like that, where you are literally dating a 30-year-old child, mm-hmm. and you're just like, oh, God, what – Oh, you expect me to fix your life. I don't want to fix your life. I want to fix my own fucking life. Mm-hmm. And, like, you can't start a relationship on them. Anyway, the Peter Pan complex in all of these movies <laughs> is bonkers. It's bonkers. I can't with the sheer amount of man-children on screen. I, I just, I, oh, God. What drives me crazy is that the women are painted as the dysfunctional ones. Mm-hmm. When Scott Pilgrim literally doesn't own a mattress at 22 like yep. I, what yep. <laughs> yep excuse me yep <sighs> um so I listeners if you've listened to any of my other podcasts you know that I never have an outline and I never have a goal and I never I just ramble we watched a bunch of movies the ones I rewatched recently were Fight Club Scott Pilgrim Garden State Eternal Sunshine those uh-huh. are the ones that I had time to binge and I've seen all the other ones that will talk about if we get into it which ones did you watch um i watched that list and then i added 500 days of summer because i wanted to see what a self-aware manic pixie dream girl movie looked like Mm. and then i've seen breakfast at tiffany's like way back when i've never seen bringing up baby like i feel like i'm a huge gap in my knowledge i i've heard it's great i think it's on the afi list i might be wrong yeah which goes into a whole another thing about manic pixie dream girls and how like insidious it is in our culture but whatever we'll unpack that later um but yeah i went through and i binged all of those um i didn't manage to get to elizabethtown which is consistently Mm. popped up on that list so if you have any thoughts on that i'm curious i haven't seen that one in years like i have seen it i haven't seen it in years and i i and that's another thing Kristen Dunst randomly pops up in a lot of these manic pixie dream mm-hmm. girl movies. Like I for I always forget she's in, in Eternal Sunshine. Oh my god, me too. Because Kate Winslet is the one that like fucking everyone remembers in that movie. Yeah. Let's let's talk about some of these movies individually, and then we can talk about some of the themes that like prevailed. 
like, how do you want to cover it? Do you want to go from, like, the least annoying to most annoying? Or do you want to get the most annoying out of the way first? Oh, God. I don't know. Ooh, that's hard. That's hard. That's hard. All right. Let's go maybe least annoying to most annoying. I feel like that's more more interesting, maybe. I don't know. I might be wrong. Okay. So let's start with Garden State. Yeah. Because the thing is, I got mad a lot during Garden State, but it was just a lot of eye-rolly mad. Mm-hmm. It was like deep breath. It's fine. Mad. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Okay. So first of all, how the fuck old is Natalie Portman in that movie? Because she looks she like looks she's 16. 12. Yes. Yeah. She looks very young. I like saw her drinking in that movie in that one scene at the bar yeah. and I was like, wait, can she do that? Like, is that okay? There are so many times in my notes where I'm like, did you check her ID? How old is she? What is happening? Exactly. And so, okay, the quick, dirty plot synopsis of Garden State, if you haven't seen it, is Zach Braff, who wrote, directed, and starred, which is already mm. a red fucking flag, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. that never works out well. Zach Braff's character, I can't even tell you his name because it doesn't even fucking matter. He goes home to New Jersey for the first time in, you know, like 10 years. He lives in LA. He goes home to New Jersey because his mother died. And so he's going home for her funeral. You know that it is a rocky relationship between him and his family. He barely speaks to his dad. While he's there, he goes to the doctor's office for some headaches. And while at the doctor's office meets Natalie Portman. And then the rest of the movie is just his remaining few days there. I think the movie takes place over like four days. Yeah, it's four, which is just insane to me, but whatever. It's so much. And like, it's just him coming to terms with his life and Natalie fucking Portman just saving his his sanity. And that's it. That's the fucking movie. <laughs> and the shins don't forget the shins that's that's the movie so one of okay so one of the prevailing themes of all of these movies is it has to have a good soundtrack mm-hmm. all of these movies have a great soundtrack they slap they're great i ugh. and they're wasted generally it is the manic pixie dream girl who introduces the music into our lives mm-hmm uh so the iconic scene from garden state is zach Braff and natalie portman have just met in this doctor's waiting room and she's wearing headphones and she comes over to him and she puts her headphones on his head and she's like this song's gonna change your life i've seen the shins in concert and they're fine <laughs> i think garden state is to movies what the shins are to music Ooh, in that yeah. uh, you know yeah. cool i guess it's playing in the grocery store that's fun Woo, new slang. Woo, Zach Braff, you know? Right. Like, it's so non-threatening, basic vibes mm-hmm. music. Mm-hmm. And, like, <laughs> even when the song came out, like, even, like, I get that the song's, like, old now, but even when the song came out, I remember watching the movie and being like, I've heard better songs. I would not be surprised if this song was in a Hyundai commercial. Like, I'm pretty sure it's been used in a car commercial at some point. Yep. Because it's just so basic. And, like, I, no shade to the shins. Like, they're an no. enjoyable band. I, I don't actively seek them out. But sure, if they come on Pandora, yeah, whatever. But, like, they're so inoffensive. And it's not yeah. like, I'm going to change your life with the shins. It's like, oh, hey, the shins are playing. That's fun. Yeah. 
And I don't even think that the, I didn't look up the lyrics to that song, but I don't even think the lyrics of that song are anything to write home about. New, I think it's, I think it's new slang, which is like, they're like yeah. big headliner because yeah. of this movie. And it's not remarkable. It's like the lyrics, whatever, it's fine. There's nothing poetic or like hugely significant about it. And I know people are going to get really mad at that because the Shins has a very devoted fan base, but. Yes, but the Shins have a very devoted fan base of Zach Braff characters. <laughs> The people who are going to get mad are the people who modeled their fucking life off of these male characters. Yep, that's fair. The Peter Pans. So if you haven't realized by now, this episode is just as much about the male protagonist of these movies as it is about the Manic Pixie Dream Girls. Because the Dream Girls on their own would be fine. It's Mm -hmm. the coupling of Peter Pan that fucks all this up there's just so much with this movie that's like so boring and like every time zach braff is on screen without natalie portman like everything's white and beige and you know her house is filled with hamster tunnels and everything is colorful and you know it's like September and they still have their fucking Christmas tree up from last year. She has this just super cute thing where she, whenever she feels insignificant, she does a funny motion and a a sound because then it's the most original thing that's happening at that moment. No other human in the history of humanity has ever done that and no one will ever do that again in that exact same spot. And it's exhausting. How much pressure must it be to be Sam in Garden State. Like, to be like, this is my quirky thing now. Ooh, look at me. Ooh, yes. I'm going to go bury this hamster I accidentally murdered by leaving the wheel in the cage. I'm still mad about that plot point, but whatever. The very first time Zach Braff goes to her house, her mom is like, oh, by the way, like, you forgot to take the hamster wheel out of the cage and the hamster ran himself to death. And then we have, like, a funeral for a hamster, which, oh my god, she's so quirky because she cares about, like, little animals. Like, she had a whole funeral for a hamster. Like, yeah, I care about my pets too. That's why I don't fucking murder them. Maybe if you cared about Jelly so much, you wouldn't take the hamster, like, you wouldn't have left the hamster wheel in there. Like, how about maybe? And, okay... Okay, let's talk about her epilepsy. Let's do, because I didn't see it anywhere. I just heard it mentioned once in passing. And maybe it's because I wasn't paying a ton of attention to this boring-ass movie. No! So, even though I have seen this movie before, the entire time watching it, I was like, clearly she's going to have a seizure. That's why we've set this Mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. And it never happens. So, basically, we have just given her this, again non-threatening disease that makes her fragile gives zach braff a reason to protect her but it never actually infringes on anything that they do like the first thing when they were at the bar and she was drinking because i have a friend who's epileptic epileptic and on a lot of her medications she can't drink and so they were at the bar and they were drinking and i was like first of all is she old enough second of all is she allowed to do that with her medication? Like, she wears a helmet in the movie because she apparently had a seizure at work. And in order to work at where she's working, she has to, like, wear a helmet now for her own safety. So her epilepsy is that bad. But it's not bad enough that she has to stop drinking. And it's 
not bad enough that anything ever happens with it in the movie. It's just there to make her this fragile thing. Mm -hmm. She literally has to wear a helmet because she's so delicate. It's gross. It's gross, 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 gross. And the fact that, like, so as a child, her character Sam was, like, this huge ice skater, and she's really talented, and, you know, it's hinted at by the mom that she could have had more, but epilepsy is what ruined it. That plot point is never brought up again. Like, and you can clearly see, like, Natalie Portman gives such an excellent performance in this. You can clearly see, like, how much she loves ice skating when she's watching this home movie of her and how much it hurts, they never explore it. Not even once. That's such a huge character point. Like, why just ignore that? Why put it in there if you're not going to do anything with it? Exactly. And, like, I cannot tell you what Natalie Portman's character wanted out of life in this movie. Mm -mm. There is never any, this entire movie, and I get, okay, I get that, like, Every movie has a protagonist and you are following that story and lead characters. You don't necessarily always get to investigate their background or, you know, sometimes you want more from like supporting characters, but like they do so little with her. And that's a running theme with the Manic Mm -hmm. Pixie Dream Girls is they do so little with them that literally why even bring these points up? I think it's to make them, like, I think it's literally just to give the character texture. I think that's it. I think it's just to be like, oh, see, she's not like other girls. She has interests. Or she has complexities. Which, look, at every human has those. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> if you want to know just how quirky she is, the video that they show of her ice skating, she ice skated in a full alligator costume. Which, like okay Zach Braff we get it like she's not like other girls she's not wearing the sequins whoop-de-doo and then okay can I tell you what else annoys me with this movie sorry I'm <laughs> getting worked up that's the point <laughs> um so the I think they're I'm pretty sure they're nameless the nameless girls at the party in the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. and who are in the friend group who are always around but are purely like eye candy like oh they're right. pretty but they're basic like they like going to parties and hanging out, but they don't have any interesting quirks. So we don't even, like, name them. They don't talk. Mm-hmm. They're given nothing. They have no names. Uh, they want to play spin the bottle mm-hmm. at the party. And they literally sound like that. Yeah. They yeah. are, like, the girl next door. Like, one of them's, like, super thin and blonde, and the other one's just, like, her sidekick friend. And they're just sleeping their way through the friend group essentially because every time Mm -hmm. there is another party they're paired off with another one of the guys this movie is just filled with trash men like zach braff's best friend is a grave digger slash grave robber who hangs out with some really seedy people there's an entire fucking side plot of this movie where they spend zach braff's last day in New Jersey, going on this epic quest that Zach and Sam have no idea what it is, but they're this like trash friend is like, yeah. And so basically, like they go to a hardware store, he picks something up off the shelf and then goes and returns it so that he can basically scam this hardware store out of $50. Then he takes the $50 to a hotel where people are looking through peepholes of the hotel so that they can watch people have sex. He gives the $50 and, like, a nitrous tank to fucking Redman. 
uh, or Method Man or whichever Method Man. It's Method Man. I have the IMDb pulled up right now. <laughs> I was like, I was like, Red Man, Method Man. I don't remember because whichever one is not in Garden it's State just a is cameo. in Seed of Chucky. Um, oh God, <laughs> this is a whole separate podcast. <laughs> um, and then they get something from him, and then they like fucking go to this goddamn abyss. This movie ends with them screaming into the abyss by the fucking way um, literally a void they're yelling into a void it's disgusting and like we spend this whole day just to get zach braff's mother's necklace back because grave robbing friend robbed her corpse and then felt bad about it and then we went through this entire adventure to get the necklace back but here's the great thing zach braff never knew that the necklace was missing and so why did we do this anyway. i think listen Peter Sarsgaard plays, again, I have the IMDb in front of me. Peter Sarsgaard, who I love, plays Mark, the grave digging friend, and or the grave robbing friend. Grave dig both. He does both. Yeah, um, <laughs> and his performance, again, really solid. Like, I loved it. It was delightful. He plays this huge grifter. And I think it's just interesting that his Peter Pan complex is downplayed compared to Zach Braff's. Like, right. His Peter Pan complex is seen as a default of character. Right. Whereas Zach Braff's is just because he had a hard life. Well, you know what? Peter Sarsgaard's character, Mark, had a very difficult life too. And yet, you know, he's seen as the scum of the earth, whereas Zach Braff is just quirky. Arguably, he had a more difficult life because Zach Braff's parents were very rich. Yeah. And that's the other thing. Poverty is so fetishized in all of these oh movies. My God. All of them. Me. I just. Zach Braff is. Uh, his dad is like some really rich psychiatrist or something. He's really rich, but like he keeps hanging out with all of the. First of all, who goes back to their hometown that they haven't been to in 10 years and is then just like, I'm going to hang out with all these people? I would not hang out with anyone from high school and there's like two people from college that I'd hang out with well especially like this isn't like returning home like the day before Thanksgiving and Mm -hmm. like oh hey I ran it this is his mother's funeral that he came back for and he just keeps blowing off his father who like clearly wants to talk about his mother's death Mm -hmm. he just keeps blowing off his father to hang out with these high school friends who he hasn't seen in years and he did not even graduate with these people he left town at 16 to go to boarding school so these aren't even like lifelong like keep in touch friends these are hasn't seen in nine years friends let's talk about why he went to boarding school shall we oh my god let's do it zach braff's mother was in a wheelchair when she died and for the majority of the movie, you don't know why. You just kind of, like, I mean, like, every single woman in this movie, we kind of just gloss over whatever the fuck happened to her. We don't <laughs> care. But eventually, it comes out in this big soul-bearing moment that when Zach Braff was nine, he got really mad at his mother and pushed her, and she fell and hit her head on a dish washer door that had swung down by accident and that paralyzed her there are at least three times in this fucking movie where he says my entire life has been defined by this little piece of plastic that didn't keep the door closed fuck you take some goddamn responsibility for things that you did in your past i don't care that you were nine i don't fucking care you did that you pushed your mom she was paralyzed because of that 
stop blaming the piece of plastic. Well, also, like, the fact that he's let his entire life be defined by that moment. Like, he's lived with that moment in his life until Natalie Portman. Until yeah. Natalie Portman. And then she's like, oh my god, live in the moment. Who, you know what, arguably comes in in a maternal figure at first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, the mommy complex is insane in this movie. Oh, yeah. And I would argue that, like, every single one of these women plays a maternal aspect. Because the thing is, you can't have Peter Pan without Wendy. Yep. And that's so gross. Wendy always, while she had fun with the boys, there was always a moment where Wendy was like, okay, we have to, like, clean up and we have to do work. And, like, she was the mom for a second. And mm-hmm. so you always have to have that aspect of these women. Then the movie ends. Thank oh, fucking thank Christ. But the last <laughs> scene is probably the most infuriating. Natalie Portman is crying at the airport because Zach Braff, the whole, every single day of this movie, people are like, when are you going home? And he's like, I don't know, maybe this afternoon, maybe tomorrow. Zach Braff never has a fucking timeline of when he's going home. So first of all, that must be really fucking nice to not have to worry about your job slash your Mm -hmm. rent in LA. Mm -hmm. Okay. As someone who lives in the Bay Area, fuck you. Also, clearly there's been no clear communication with Natalie Portman about like when you're going home and what that means for them. Yeah. The movie ends with him being like, oh, it's been four days, but it's been like the best four days. But like, I have to go find myself. And like, if you and I stay together right now, that I really feel like, you know, I'll ruin it because like, I'm still learning and I'm still growing and I've got to do this on my own. I want to die. I, I shut my iPad at that point. I was like, I'm not taking notes anymore. (laughs) I just... And Natalie Portman is sitting there, again, giving a beautiful performance. She's a queen. Yeah. Um, this, like, 16-year-old-looking woman is sitting there sobbing at the airport. And he's like, you're not going to come back. And he's like, i got to find myself. But I'll be back at some point. So you're expecting Natalie Portman to wait for you for an undisclosed amount of time while you figure your life out. Like, her, her life is supposed to go on hold for you. And you're leaving her in this shithole town in New Jersey while you go off and do your thing. It just bothers me that he expects her to set aside everything for him. Let's also add the layer that they just slept together for the first and only time. Yep, 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 yep. yep, He waited until the night before he knew he was going to leave to sleep with her. And then he's like, oh my god, I gotta go and find myself. And, you know, I guess good for fucking Zach Braff because in the very last second, she's crying in a phone booth alone at the airport. And he, like, swoops in and is like, oh, no, never mind. We should be together. Which is some fucking pickup artist bullshit Mm -hmm. where you Mm -hmm. fucking negged this girl into being, like, an emotional goddamn wreck that you yourself caused and then you swoop in to save the day from yourself? Yeah. Yeah. You, you like, fix your own wreckage, kind of? I, it, it's infuriating. And the fact that he just is like, oh, yeah, of course he's going to, like, accept me back after I just shattered her heart in a public place. Like, yeah, sure, why not? And, of course, she does because they always do. She's a manic pixie dream girl, and that's their purpose. Ew. All right, so let's... Ew. Let's escalate. 
Okay. Oh my god, I can't believe there's preservation. That's Christ. just one movie. And that was the least offensive one. I watched it and was like, this is pleasant. Yeah, I think it's because it was the order that I watched them in. I was like, okay. Yeah. Alright, this one's not as bad. Yep, same, 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 same. So let's uh, right. let's go with Scott Pilgrim, shall we? Ugh, oh my god, I would have had it ranked so much higher on Annoying. I watched it last night. And I was so mad. <laughs> I, 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 there are so many things wrong with this movie and how it treats women. And I, I get that people love it so much. People like, there love are so this many movie. people that love this movie. And look at like the aesthetic fits things I love. Like you've got like that old arcade style. It's like a whole video game like well and aesthetic it's, it's goddamn edgar wright and he is one of my favorite directors mm-hmm, i mm-hmm. love edgar wright the entire like Shaun of the dead hot fuzz world end trilogy fucking Good. great yeah. uh baby driver fuck kevin spacey but that movie's fucking great like mm-hmm. he's he's a one of my favorite directors and so again like i said at the beginning begrudgingly there are parts of all of these movies that I love. I love Edgar Wright's cinematography. I love, like, again, the visuals. There's, like, the mm-hmm. arcade visuals. And, you know, April and I are both very big gamers. Also puts us in that manic pixie dream girl. Fucking. Yep, yep that's a trope to unpack at a later date. Um, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. And then the cast in this. The cast is so good. You've got Brie Larson just delivering like solid performance. Goddamn Captain Marvel. Oh my god, girl. And then Allison Pill just in here being a boss bitch. I love her so much. You've got Chris Evans in oh this movie. Oh my god, who was really enjoyable in this movie. I actively liked his like his whole deal. Yeah, and uh there's just so many fucking people in this movie that are so mm-hmm. good. The other Culkin brother now I'm forgetting the name of Gideon. The, the oh Schwartzman, love... Jason. Oh Jason Schwartz, Jason Schwartzman. I'm gonna yeah. butcher that. Sorry, everyone. But Jason Schwartzman is phenomenal in yeah. everything he's been, and he's really good in this. And also the fucking soundtrack, banging soundtrack. Oh, so good, so good. The song that Brie Larson's character sings is like just such a great song. Oh my god. And it's like her delivering it makes it 20 times better. I came into this movie and I was like, you know what? It's been a hard few days binging these, but this is going to make it worth it. I'm going to enjoy this movie. I, I, I would argue this is the most annoying, but I'm okay putting it second. I think for our purposes of specifically manic pixie dream girl this is mm-hmm. the worst offender however mm-hmm. i think the next movie that you know we're going to talk about is no, like no. the worst <laughs> I movie so much. because um, of the toxic masculinity that it creates. yeah 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 and like this is a in each of these movies they all have their own different brand of toxic mm-hmm. masculinity mm-hmm. um which is interesting to me like, and you see, like, the different, like, vibes. Like, you have the toxic masculinity in, like, the nerd subculture, which mm-hmm. is this one. Mm-hmm. And you have it, um, I guess Garden State is, like, indie toxic masculinity. Yeah. You know? It's like, <laughs> like, yeah. And, but, I mean, here's, here's the thing that all of our protagonists have in common. They are all middle class white men who actually mm-hmm. don't have any problems. 
Yep, 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 yep. They, I, they don't. Oof. None of them are actively poor. They live mm-hmm. poor lifestyles, but none of them are actively poor. They all either have or could have jobs if they tried, and they all have a group of friends. Now, those friends are generally, you know, trash friends, but they do have a group of friends. The only problems that they have are problems that they have created on their own and that they have blamed society for. Mm-hmm. hmm The, like, complete refusal to grow up is right. pervasive in each and every one of these movies. Right. And I, I'm not going to empathize with that. Like, nope. Pay some rent. Yeah. Get a job. You all of know? them. All of them are straight. All of them are white. All of them are middle class. Mm-hmm. All of them have an education. Yeah. I'm sorry the world set you up for success. That must be so hard to play the world on the easy level. Like, I'm so sorry for you. It's so, it's so fucking obnoxious. Okay. And so, so Scott fucking Hitler. And yes, a lot of people like this movie and I one think that people get blinded by the Edgar Wright cinematography mm-hmm, and absolutely. aesthetic and two I think that so many people identified with the characters because this one is this one is like the tail end of this trope because this is like mm-hmm. 2010 so at this mm-hmm. point all the other movies had come out like Garden State was 2004 Fight Club was like in the 90s it was like 1999 Ooh. or something um eternal sunshine had already come out like all of these had already come out so this was like kind of on the tail end and honestly i haven't you know if i was a better podcaster then i would have looked this up but honestly i can see edgar wright just making this movie to like make fun of this trope it's terrible it's terrible and he's just a total piece of human trash like scott pilgrim is he violate society's laws and not in a cool way at every turn like i i there was literally been no scene where i wasn't like oh yeah that's that's decent behavior like that's that's him being a good guy no 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 no. even the end i was like oh oh great i'm so glad he hasn't changed at all he learned he's nothing (laughs) through this whole movie no, but spoiler alert, he learned that his behavior was okay and to respect himself. That's true. I That's true. wanted to run into traffic. I was so mad at the ending of this movie. I set, I set things on fire. Right. <laughs> Good um, for you. Yeah. So we, we start this movie off already on a really bad fucking foot because it is all of Scott Pilgrim's friends telling him... Maybe you shouldn't date a 17-year-old girl when you're 22. Oh God, I can't. 17 years. Like, they made the conscious decision to make her underage, too. Like, she could have yeah. been 18, yeah. but no. And no, that's no. why I really think that part of the intent of this movie was to make fun of this type of character. Because his friends mm-hmm. do not gloss over it. His friends are constantly like, you're gross. You're dating a 17-year-old. What are you doing? And they're so careful in this movie to be like, well, they didn't get physical at all. Oh, I don't yes. care. I don't care if they didn't get physical. You're still dating a child, mm-hmm. sir. You are mm-hmm. 22 years old. That's a – 17 to 22 is a huge age difference. Like, yeah. Like, in terms of life, like, genres, I guess, or phases. And I also it's feel massive. like it's a red flag, personality-wise, if you can't get a girl your own age. 
Oh, absolutely. And his whole, oh God, okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to get so mad during this. I'm taking deep breaths. His whole character thing is he had his heart broken by his ex, played by the radiant Brie Larson. Mm. Um, May she reign forever. Mm -hmm. And that's his whole backstory. That is why he's justifying being a total piece of shit. That's his whole personality. Yeah, that's it. His whole personality was Brie Larson started a band and got famous and left. God forbid she fucking follow her dreams. They don't get into Brie Larson's backstory at all because, again, the women don't matter in these movies. She's just painted as this, like, vapid rock star, kind of. We don't know what went down between them. She started a a rock band. She is the front woman of a rock band. Yeah. And she got very famous. And so she broke up with him, which, like, fucking rightfully so. I would have broken up with that douchebag as well. He has, not to sound materialistic, but he doesn't own a bed or pay rent or have a job. Like, I I don't think him sharing a bed with his roommate is cute. I no. think it's upsetting. I think he's an adult man. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't understand why that's painted as charming that he literally owns nothing, has no job. Yep. isn't very good at playing the bass like he's clearly he's not, not an invested <laughs> he's not an invested musician or anything like he doesn't practice what does he what does he care about like what is what is his thing and again looks are not important but if you are running with all those tallies against you and you don't even look cute i oh god what he's not even like <laughs> And the social skills aren't there. Yeah. Like, he doesn't know how to how to talk to humans. And no. it's just, what do you have going for you right now, Michael Sarah? Like, what are you, what are you doing, my guy? Literally nothing. And you could at least be a good person. Nope. Like, <laughs> but no, 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 no. Like, he can't even achieve, like, the basic level of human morality expected from a person. Uh, and so his 17-year-old girlfriend is no. also Asian. And And goes to Catholic school, so she has the uniform. And again, this is a conversation that he has with one of his friends, where one of his friends is like, so she wears a Catholic school girl uniform, and she's Asian. And so, like, again, I really think that this was a commentary on this type of guy. But again, I think that it went over the heads of a lot of these guys. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And so, like, we have this, like, Asian fetishism that is disgusting, so nasty the other Culkin brother again cannot remember his name he plays plays Wallace right Wallace the gay roommate this is another theme that I feel like is prevalent in all of these movies where we are borderline homoerotic Mm -hmm. oh yeah for sure because like he is like we've said he sleeps in the same bed as Wallace and there's just there's so many times where we like are like, oh, Wallace is so gay. He's so gay. He's like the gayest. I listen. I have in my notes underlined multiple times with several frowny faces how they portrayed Wallace mm-hmm. as the stereotypical hypersexual gay man with like always the cutting remark. Mm-hmm. It's horrific. It's gross. Like, and I I get it. This movie's made what. 11 years ago now yeah so like okay sure times have changed 
But this movie prides itself on its, like, representation and on it being, like, you know, a an artistic film that really addresses, like, the rainbow of personalities. Right. Like, how they treat the LGBTQ community in this movie is blood boiling. It's I'm so, so mad about it. It's so disgusting. I There's going to be another episode of Fempop called I'm Not Your Gay BFF. And we're going to like. Oh my God. Dissect all of the like, gay BFFs and how disgusting they are. I think I wrote down more <laughs> quotes of this movie than I wrote mm-hmm. for any of the other ones. Uh, one of my favorite is sort of at the beginning and like him and Knives are playing video games together. And of course she's very good at video games. And he goes, did you know? And then he goes into this whole spiel about Pac-Man. Oh. God, spare me. Mm-hmm. Never once does he let her say, oh, yeah, no, I did know that. Or let her add any of her own game knowledge into it. She's just talked over because she's just there to listen. That's her only because purpose. She's, she's 17 years old and he's much older than she is. Again, just a reminder, just she's 17. Um, just to, so none of us forget that. So that is top of mind for all of us. Oh my god. Yeah, okay. and then like our manic pixie dream girl is Ramona Flowers. <sighs> Sorry. Um, yeah, no, it's fine. All, all <laughs> already just with the name. She's got crazy color hair and the first time he sees her he's at a party and everyone is wearing black except for her everyone talks about how cool she is and she she roller skates y'all she roller skates she's she's a delivery woman that roller skates don't forget she works for amazon in toronto (laughs) yeah so it's snowing the whole time and she roller skates well she's literally a magical manic pixie dream girl though because yeah. her skates melt the snow it's true they or do. her blades i'm sorry she yeah. roller blades because she's not like a soft manic pixie right. dream girl she's right. an edgy one she's edgy i forgot ew the first time i think maybe the first time he sees her is when she's in his dreams right I yes like, just he literally dreams about her before ew. seeing her and then their courtship. Can we just talk about their courtship for a hot second? Was there a courtship? Because it just was sexual harassment. It just happened. It it super duper was. It was very uncomfy for me. So basically, he sees her at the party. She's radiant. He tells her that same bullshit Pac-Man story that we heard with Knives. Because apparently that's his one like, ooh, I'm going to impress this girl who knows nothing about video games with my video game knowledge. Which, okay, sure, why why? Why not? Let's do it. It's not even interesting um, video game. <laughs> it's not. It's literally like this. That is a, a video game fact. Like I feel like my older uncle would tell me at Thanksgiving, yeah. and I'd be like, "Wow, that's great! Thank cool. you for that fun fact about Pac-Man that no one gives a shit about." But okay, fine, fine, Scott Pilgrim. That's your that's your line. That's your game. Do it. She's having none of it, and then he stalks her at work. In the fact that he orders a package from Amazon with the express hope that she will deliver it and sits by the door waiting for her to come deliver the package, which, ew, 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 and refuses to sign for the package until she agrees to go out with him, which again, ew, like, he just harasses her into a date. Yeah. And then they go on their date and, okay, look it, like, you don't have to spend money for a good date. They literally go walking in the snow for their first date. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, they don't really talk about anything. They don't have a ton in common. They just walk in some freezing Toronto weather, and that's their first date. And she magically asks him back to her place, which, girl, what? Like, what are you doing? Why? Why would you do this? Got nothing going for him. Like, there's no chemistry. There's no, like, deep conversations. It's just... He's a fucking wet noodle. He's... He's okay. I know I said that Zach Braff was a wet loaf of bread, but Michael Sarah has like been soaked overnight in the fridge in milk. And like you just drop him on the counter and it makes a thunk sound, you know? Like I he has nothing going for him. And this girl who everyone talks about being like such a badass, so successful and so cool, is like, yeah, you know what? I want this guy who has nothing going for him. I want to have sex with this man child. Yeah. And so, like, they go to her apartment. And you know how you know she's quirky if you didn't already get it from, like, the Mm -hmm. hair and the rollerblades? She has so many teas. She has so many teas. And look it. I've got that many teas in my kitchen. It's fine. Like, It's not a personality. That's just, you like tea. Congratulations. You have uh, a personality trait. So then she, like, is like, okay, I'm going to go in the other room and change. He fucking follows her and, like, walks into her bedroom while she has her shirt off. He doesn't even, like, knock or go, like, knock, knock. He just walks in. I'm sorry. With as badass as we have made her out to be, you think she would have been like, get the fuck out of my room. What are you doing? But instead, she makes out with him. Oh, my God. It's so gross. It's so gross. And then she... She makes the decision not to have sex with him, and she, like, she verbally, like, confirms that decision, which, you know what? Good for you, girl. Like, sense important. But, like, the next day, he walks out, and he jokes about, like, it's, what, like, the first date, and he didn't get any or something? Like, he throws this really bullshit toxic line out there, and you're like, oh, so you're also just a piece of human garbage in addition to having nothing going for you. Yeah. And, like, we're supposed to applaud him. Because mm-hmm. she was like, oh, I think I want to wait. And he was like, oh, okay. And he, like, didn't push her or anything like that. So he was a fucking human being. Yeah. And we're supposed to, like, fucking applaud him for that. And it's just real fucking gross. He's the nastiest. He's oh, he's my least favorite male protagonist of all the movies we watched. And we watched some shitty, shitty men. We did watch some shitty men. At least <laughs> some of them knew they were shitty. Yeah, like at least some of them address the fact that they're shitty or that they have problems or, you know, whatever. But this man, this man-child, he – oh, 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 also, also, sorry, to go back. Um, mm-hmm. He makes out and has a date with Ramona Flowers without breaking up with his 17-year-old girlfriend. His 17-year-old girlfriend. Yep. Um, like, doesn't have a discussion with her. They're not in an open relationship. He just cheats on her. And it's right. Fine. And then, like, makes it even worse by inviting Ramona to his concert the next night, which his girlfriend is going to be at. Yeah, of course, because she's being a supportive girlfriend and she's 17 years old and is really involved with his band. We haven't even gotten to the main plot of the movie, people. <laughs> it just treats women so problematically. There's so much to impact before even the action happens. So, the action is that Ramona has seven exes and scott pilgrim must fight 
every single one of the exes in order to date Ramona. There's so much wrong with that. And, like, the theme of, like, the ex informing your relationship with other people is seen throughout this movie, right? right? Like, Scott Pilgrim plays in a band with his ex, Allison Pill, who is amazing. And he's got Knives around. Mm-hmm. And he's got Brie Larson around. So, like, there are the, – the theme of exes following you is a huge thing. But none of the, like – None of Scott's exes are fighting, like, Mm -hmm. Ramona. That's not a – well, later. But, like, that's not a huge issue. It's just the heavily male exes are the Mm -hmm. ones fighting for her hand and fighting – like, challenging over ownership with Scott Pilgrim. It's disgusting. Right. And no one ever looks at Ramona and says, who do you want to date? No, no, no. God, no. Why would they ask her? Like, what the actual fuck? And yeah, there is a really interesting line that I, I don't remember where it was, but I think it might be right before he fights like uh, Chris Evans or something. And like, he's like, gosh, how many exes do you have? And like, I was like, boy, you got knives. You got Brie Larson. You got like, who the fuck are you to be like, oh, your exes are so much. No, your fucking yeah. exes are so much, you goddamn asshole. They go through his exes and like, Outside of the girls that are, excuse me, outside of the women that are pictured, like, there's a long list for his exes. And he's not even, like, addressing ownership of it. Mm -mm. But he's just judging this woman for dating men, many of whom she dated in, like, middle school or high school. Like, they were, like, infantile relationships. Yep. Like, the first two in particular, she was like, yeah, it was, like, a day. There's a lot of pitting women against other women, which Mm -hmm. I also fucking Mm -hmm. hate because, of course knives when the whole thing like happens knives doesn't get mad at scott pilgrim she gets mad at ramona she calls ramona fat several times throughout the movie which what the actual shit is that like excuse like you choose that that descriptor to apply and ramona flowers is a beautiful like she's played by a beautiful actor like she's she's like a a normal human shape like it's not like like her weight is not an issue that anyone would think was something to bring up when insulting this person. Absolutely. But I think, again, it's this toxic masculinity bullshit where they're like, well, what's the worst thing you can say about a woman? Oh, that she's fat. And then even when Brie Larson comes into it, they like, Brie runs into him somewhere when he's with Ramona or something. And she's like, who the fuck is that? And he's like, oh, that's like my girlfriend or whatever. And Brie Larson who was a fucking famous rock star, immediately is, like, all up and defensive about Ramona. And I'm just like, this makes no sense. Mm-mm. Why the fuck would she care about him? First of all, she's also yeah. dating someone else. She's dating, like, her bassist or something, who happens to mm-hmm. also be Ramona's ex. It's, like, a whole gross, complicated thing. <sighs> but, like, why the fuck would rock star Brie Larson Captain Marvel give a fuck? That you're dating another girl. Why would anyone give a fuck about Scott Pilgrim in this movie is my question. Like, there are so many women he's left heartbroken. Like, Alison Pill is a goddess. How dare you hurt her? But okay, whatever. Whatever. You know? And then you have Knives Chow, who's like uh, the sweetest little person, who's also 17. Like, I, the way these women fawn over this completely unexceptional piece of shit is just astonishing. And I think it sets a precedent for piece of shit men to expect that. Yep. And 
nah, man. No, thank you. No, no. Mm-mm. I don't. I don't want that. Mm-mm. One of my favorite Ramona Flowers lines is, "I disappear sometimes. I can be hard to be around sometimes." Oh, what? Because you have feelings, and like it's up to Scott to like deal with his girlfriend's feelings because that's what a partner in a loving relationship fucking does. Oh, I'm sorry. Is that difficult for you, Scott Pilgrim? Is that hard for you to handle? Scott Pilgrim, you goddamn man-child. Mm. Okay, and then can we talk about also... Sorry, I know I'm jumping around. No, Feel fine. free to rein me in. No, this movie fine. made me so, so mad. So one of Ramona's exes is played by Mae Whitman. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, she she's... I, I believe Ramona Flowers is bisexual, yes. I think. They touch yes. on it, but they, yeah. like... They of course she it is, as being, because that's really hot. Yes, but they frame it as being a face, which... Ugh. Gross. I, oof, man, that makes me mad, but whatever, it's fine, it's fine. And so, when it's time for Scott to to battle Mae Whitman, his big thing is, I can't hit a girl, like, I could never hit a girl. Michael Sarah, you are not nearly tough enough to handle Mae Whitman, like, Mm-mm. on your best day. Mm-mm. And also, the whole idea of, like, protecting women when he's going around being a toxic garbage human it's hilarious to me. Like, ugh. well, and then we get uh, one of the exes, one of the male exes, punching knives in the face. Yeah, like no it's one cares. Nothing. No he one punches cares. the blue highlights out of her hair. Yeah, he it's punches a joke. her that hard. Yeah, and they're just like, oh god, that knives. She can never take care of herself. You know what a stupid woman. Fuck off. Fuck I... all the way off. Yep, 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 uh, yep. And then we finally, like, we, we, like, do a bunch of bullshit that no one cares about, and we finally get to, like, <laughs> the, the boss battle, and it's Jason Schwartzman, and uh, Ramona is with him, because he has put a microchip on her. What the fuck? I can't, can't. And so it's implied that the only reason she goes for Jason Schwartzman, who is a beautiful, ambitious, talented... Man with a job and his own yep. bed. Oh, yeah. He's a really <laughs> fucking famous music producer. He probably owns his own set of dishes, which, like, wow. Comparatively set. to Michael Sarah, it's, yeah. like, living large. And the only reason she would be with this man instead of Scott Pilgrim, piece of human trash, right, is because he put a chip in her head. Like, that's the only reason she would make that choice. And so Scott... After discussing with Ramona, like, okay, is this what you want? And Ramona says, yeah, I do. I want this man. Scott doesn't accept this and goes on to fight Jason Schwartzman. She literally says, I can't help myself when I'm around Gideon. Uh, uh, girl made her choice, Scott. So he doesn't accept that. And then nope. we find out that she has been microchipped into loving Jason Schwartzman because uh, she can't make choices on her own we get to this fucking fight and i'm so tired and (laughs) he uh, tells ramona right before he mm -hmm. fights for her that he loves her and so that unlocks some mythic fucking uh weapon sword of love yeah Yeah, the sword of love and he still gets defeated but lucky for our protagonist, he has a goddamn one-up life. And so he gets to do I'm it all over again. 
So and oh god, go ahead. Sorry. We have knives also in this last fight. <laughs> and Scott gives some bullshit fucking speech about self-acceptance. And he gets an even better sword because Ew. he has accepted himself. What Which, about you is mm, acceptable? That's my thing. I'm like, you have so much self-acceptance. You've grown complacent in your life, sir. Like, you have not chosen to make any changes. You've done nothing. You you just sit there like a freaking wet piece of bread on a kitchen counter doing nothing. And you expect everyone to love you and you expect your self-respect to like radiate out into the world what the actual shit (sighs) i so i i'm so tired (laughs) i'm so tired so anyway like knives comes out and she wants to fight ramona because ramona Uh. stole him from her and again because it's not his fault why would it be his fault yeah Ramona did not know about the existence of knives before they started dating, by the way. She did yes. not make the conscious choice to do this. Right. This is not her fault. Period. End of story. Nothing is Ramona's fault in this movie, even though everything is Ramona's fault in this movie. He convinces knives not to fight Ramona. So we then get a two-player battle against boss Jason Schwartzman. And even though Ramona has fought before, because Ramona fought her female ex because mm-hmm. fucking Scott wouldn't do it. Ramona is not the one that fights two-player for her own agency. No. Instead, she knives fights. Ramona gets knocked out, like, fucking immediately. Mm-hmm. And then... She gets pushed down some stairs. It's yeah. ridiculous. And I guess if you're wearing rollerblades, you can't walk upstairs. So, you're out. <laughs> <laughs> she's actually wearing a sick pair of combat boots yeah. in this one. Because, again, she's different. She's quirky. So, whatever... They fucking fight. He fucking wins. I don't care. And then after he wins, with like the last scene of the fucking movie, again, just like Garden State, so infuriating. Only this time it's reversed, where Ramona's like, well, I've, I've fixed you for the next girl. And I guess it's time for me to say goodbye and walk off into the sunset. And she's so fucked up and she's got so many problems. Where are those problems? We've had an entire movie and I don't know what your problems are. You keep saying you have problems, but I have yet to fucking see them. She said once, and I quote, I was kind of a bitch at one point. Look it. That's everybody. That's the human condition. Like I can't, I, uh, I'm kind of a bitch at all points. So what is (laughs) what? What? Like, and also, like, the feminizing of that word. Like, I'm kind of a bitch. Like, yeah, what a bitch. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Scott Pilgrim. Okay. Just like Zach Braff at the end of Garden State, he uh, is at peace with himself. He has... Nothing is his fault. He takes responsibility mm-hmm. for none of it. Uh, and then Ramona, again, is like, oh, I'm so fucked up. I'm just gonna float away into the abyss and scott is like no i think i could be with you can i come with you and i just wrote in all caps oh you deigned to be with me what a fucking honor what a treat thank you now i have michael sarah jobless bedless 
Michael Sarah following me around through the interdimensional plane. Great. Great, but great, I'm, great. I'm the fucked up one. Yeah. No, no, no. Like, he's deigning to be with me, even though I have my life together. He's how, still... How fucking sweet of him. I just don't understand what that relationship is based on. I don't understand why she would say yes to that. I don't understand why Ramona Flowers has so little self-respect that she allows this Peter Pan man-child wet bread piece of trash to follow her. I... It's so much. I screamed so much during this movie. My voice hurt. Yeah. Um, There's there's so many of my notes that are in all caps. I was so mad at this movie. In order to not make this the longest podcast episode, we're only going to cover one more movie. All right, and then we'll then we'll talk about quickly the themes and why it's all fucked up. (laughs) This last movie, again, I feel like Scott Pilgrim is the biggest offender for Manic Pixie Dream Girl, just in general. However, this next movie pisses me off more than anything else, and I feel like (laughs) is more responsible for creating more Peter Pans than Scott Pilgrim did. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, Fight Club. No! No, not Fight Club! (laughs) Please. Just punch me in the face as if I'm in Fight Club because goddamn. Treat me like Jared Leto in Fight Club. Demolish me. Also, I I will say that is the one shining moment of this movie is watching jared fucking leto get his face fucking bashed in oh my god oh my god that and you know what i love a good meatloaf cameo yeah i love seeing him i love knowing he's around you know two out of three ain't bad meatloaf and again again the acting in this movie fucking on point Brad Pitt and Edward Norton, I fucking hate your characters, but you played them to a T. You guys- God, Edward Norton's so good. They're they're both so good. Hell in a bottom. Carter, Jesus Christ, lady, you are too pure for this world. And like- really is. What is this, David Fincher? Is that who did this movie? Like, it's- I think so. It's- He's a great director. This is- Mm -hmm. The cinematography of this is amazing. So again, Mm -hmm. it's not that this movie is- a technically bad movie this movie is a technically great movie which is kind of part of the problem <laughs> i think it absolutely is it's part of the indoctrination like this movie i don't know personally with like the problematic friends i still have lurking on facebook who i disagree with politically they love this movie they love bringing this movie into mm-hmm. tropes they mm-hmm. love putting it in memes they love talking about this movie and it's so interesting the way it plays into like that toxic masculinity that you see everywhere right now. The most <sighs> toxic ex boyfriend that I ever had mm-hmm. loved this movie. Of course, I of course. Think that I, by proxy, watched this movie like fifty times because of him. Oh no, Tanya! And I'm he so just sorry. Fucking loved this movie, and. I mean, just the fact that there are so many men that think that this movie is so smart. That's the thing. That's what kills me. And again, I'm going to liken this to Rick and Morty, where you are not supposed to like Rick. You are not supposed to want to be Rick. But a lot Mm -hmm. of you men have missed that fucking point 
And that's exactly what this movie is. You are not supposed to want to be Tyler Durden. Tyler Durden is a fucking domestic terrorist. But you missed that point. You, it just went right over your head. I almost feel bad for the writer and director of this movie because the point was so missed in pop culture. Like, it went over a lot of people's heads. It was so bad. And so I've read a lot of... I always mispronounce his last name, but I've read a lot oh, of Chuck, Chuck. Palahniuk. Yep, yep, yep. Work. I have not read this one. This is one of those that I didn't read, and it was probably because I had to watch this movie so many times. I was like, I don't feel the need to read it. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. My boy Chuck, he has a real problematic relationship with women. Yes, like, absolutely. Big old red flags everywhere. So it's not surprising to me that this movie is such a font of bullshit. Yeah. But at the same time, I just wanted more like i had never seen this movie before like watching it for this podcast what? i had never i had blissfully been unaware i was like mm, doesn't look like my cup of tea i'm not gonna watch it and i i I'm yearn for those days of innocence so sorry that it's i made okay. you wait, watch fight club for the first time oh god it's not your fault it needed to be part of my cultural lexicon like this is friendship it's fine <laughs> Oh, God. But, oh, my God, this movie. It was not what I expected in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. And I should have known, again, with my boy Chuck writing this, I should have known. I should have been aware. But here we are, I'm, you know. I'm so sorry. Marla Singer is our manic pixie dream girl of this movie. Oh, my God. And she is the most extreme version of the manic pixie <laughs> dream girl. Yeah, she absolutely is. Again, though, she breezes into his life. Manic Pixie Dream Girls always crash into your life. You never meet them in a normal way. Mm-hmm. It, it's just they like sweep on in. And so basically Edward Norton's character is, again, a 30-year-old man-child who is white, heterosexual, has a good job, finally. One of them has a fucking job. Middle class, has no problems. But for some reason, he just can't feel things. And so he starts going to group therapy sessions for, like, Alcoholics Anonymous and tuberculosis and Mm -hmm. testicular cancer. And, like, these places where people are fucking dying. He, in order to feel something, becomes a grief tourist. Oh, the movie also basically makes fun of these support groups because like they do the most like extreme versions of them where they're like okay now we're gonna do guided meditation and we're gonna do whatever whatever Uh and it's just like fuck you these support groups are very necessary for people and whatever so edward norton is himself a grief tourist in this and then he starts Uh to realize that marla singer helena bottom carter's character is also doing the same thing she's going to all these groups and she's smoking in the background of the tuberculosis (laughs) meeting and she wears all black she is and again this was the 90s so she is that epitome of heroin chic where she Mm -hmm. looks like she hasn't eaten in seven days and they specifically put like purple eyeshadow under her eyes so that she looks like she hasn't slept in forever Mm -hmm. she's very gaunt very pale very constantly smoking and just she just like comes in like a fucking hurricane and there's literally like they literally have conversations where she's standing on the street and traffic is like speeding around her because she just doesn't care she's just 
rolling on she into your life. Literally, she doesn't care if she lives or dies. Like it doesn't matter to her. Yeah, which is a whole other thing to unpack. Mm-hmm. But whatever. She literally has the line, "I could die at any moment, and I'm usually disappointed that I don't." Which, like, I mean, I kind of love that line a little bit, but super problematic super super problematic god edward norton gets so mad at her for doing the exact same thing Mm -hmm. he's doing so mad and treats her like garbage even though he likes her and it's implied that he does that because he likes her that age old that that font of knowledge yeah like Um, we can't show actual emotions to women we have to like no be annoyed by them because we and like them. The only the only reason Edward Norton goes to these support groups is so he can have a place to cry and feel something. Yeah. Which like uh, the whole idea of men displaying emotion and needing a safe space for that is also something to unpack, but I don't think we can do that <laughs> here. We oh, could have made an entire episode just on this movie. Uh <laughs> she has a suicide attempt at one point and yep. here's the thing. She <laughs> takes too much value and follows it with some alcohol and then she calls Edward Norton and she's like, I think I'm dying. I, but she says, like, I don't think this is a real suicide attempt. I think this was a cry for help. And oh my God. he just puts the phone down and walks away. Like, that's what he does. Because he can't I'm be looking. bothered to deal with her suicide attempt. And, like, spoiler alert, like, for people who haven't seen Fight Club, which... It's 30 years don't old. Bother. This is your yeah. This is your own problem. Um, spoiler alert then tyler durden picks up the phone and like goes to like see marla and tyler durden is edward norton shocker um (laughs) we're all so surprised and they have like an evening and then they enter into this like purely sexual relationship tyler durden brad pitt playing tyler durden um and edward norton is cranky about it because he's living with tyler durden he sees marla come down the stairs all the time after they have sex and he's not having sex and wah 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 and my girl Marla, like, I was thinking about it from her perspective. <laughs> she literally just, like, is in this, like, I guess friends with benefits relationship. I don't I don't know. She's getting it with this guy, and he treats her like crap after. And she's just still there being this, like, relatively kind maternal figure who's concerned about Edward Norton. Poor Marla. Like, what, what relationship is that, girl? What yeah. are you doing? Yeah, there's literally a scene where he looks at her. This is before he realizes that him and Tyler are the same person. Like, so this one kind of gets complicated to talk about. But before he realizes that him and Tyler are the same person, there is a moment where he looks at Marla Singer and, like, referring to her relationship with Tyler, he's like, what do you get out of it? I don't get it. And she, like, looks at him and she was like, what do you get out of it? Yeah. What what are you getting out of this, Edward Norton? It's not even, like, grappled with. And, like... Look it, maybe it's just because this movie's been around for 30 years. I didn't think the end of the twist was that clever. I'm like, oh great, look, they're the same guy. <laughs> yeah. Good job, Chuck. <laughs> but looking back on like all their interactions, I'm like, oh, so this guy just treated her like a typical fuckboy would. Like that's just that oh, absolutely. Right there. And she keeps coming back and she genuinely like wants him to be okay. And she's concerned for him when he hurts himself and like when he's talking to himself. Yes, she is, like, genuinely concerned for him. She has genuine feelings for him. And then there, like, comes a point at the end of the movie where he has realized that he's Tyler Durden, I think, at that point he's realized. Or maybe he hasn't, but, like, he's about to realize that he's Tyler Durden. And he's just like, look, you have to get out of this city. Like, things are going to get 
crazy and bad. And she's just like, she looks at me and she's like, I can't do this with you anymore. Like, I cannot, I cannot do this with you anymore. This is, this is so much bullshit. The girl that walks into traffic hoping that she dies, who crashes testicular cancer (laughs) support groups and smokes all during tuberculosis support groups, who literally has the line, the condom is the glass slipper of our generation, has just looked at you and said, I can't do this anymore. (laughs) Like, You've tired out Marla. Like, you have exhausted her with your bullshit. And then, okay, this is also after, like, his cult members, which, again, ew. He has a whole cult. Yeah. He has a whole cult of, like, toxic men who don't feel like they're getting their masculinity. Oh, yeah, they're predominantly white. It's disgusting. They, like, come and, like, rough Marla up before Mm -hmm. she gets told to leave. And, like, it's on the orders of Tyler Darden, who is also Edward Norton. So, like, your fuckboy's cronies came, roughed you up, and then he comes to tell you to get out of town? No, I'm tired of your bullshit, dude. Like, excuse me? It's it's so much. And, like, <laughs> and that's the thing. I understand that, like, Marla Stinger and her manic pixie dream girlish is actually, like, the side plot of the main movie. Like, the main movie is mm-hmm. not their relationship. Like the, the like the rest of the movies we've covered, it has been the main relationship, but the main relationship is actually between him and Tyler. And so much toxic masculinity in this movie, and there are so many guys yeah. that, like, our generation made this movie a staple of their fucking personality. It's disgusting. Do you know how many dorm rooms I've been in that have had the Fight Club poster mm-hmm. in them? Yeah. And yeah. listen, y'all, it's not a very good movie. I did not enjoy this. Yeah. I was waxing my legs while watching it, and this movie was more painful than the leg waxing yeah. to get through. It's I hated it. I hated it. I... The whole idea of violence being the only way to get out emotion as a man, like, no, my dudes, no, that's not. And then, like, like having, like, more traditionally, like, quote, femme emotions, end quote, like, like, and getting in touch with them is considered, like, this mark of a weakling. Mm-hmm. Ew. And Ew, again, fam. this this movie is so borderline homoerotic. It super is. Like, the, shirtless, ripped dudes the whole movie sweating on each other wrestling with each other just 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 some naked wrestling you know brad pitt's pants are so low during this entire movie that i am actively worried for his penis (laughs) i just okay and my other issue is i know a lot of women with a lot of untapped rage because we're not allowed to express it. Mm-hmm. I feel like Fight Club is a better inclination for us. Like, could you imagine oh, a place where we can just go be angry? Like, without apology? Ah, <sighs> oh, what a dream. It would. What a dream. Live in the dream. <laughs> Live in the dream. <laughs> yeah, and so basically, uh, Edward Norton, a.k.a. Brad Pitt, starts a oh, terrorist God. group. And they start blowing up corporations because corporations and money are bad. Look, I fucking hate capitalism. I'm the first to be like, fuck capitalism. But this bros is the wrong way. That's not how you change anything. Yeah. Oh, and and my favorite fucking monologue of the movie is when Edward Norton's boss comes to his cubicle. And he's like, did you leave this piece of paper that says Fight Club on it? And Edward Norton proceeds to tell his boss, 
you know, I don't know that I'd really question the person that left that because that person might be a little unstable and they might be the person that brings a gun into the office and goes cubicle by cubicle and shoots everyone. This movie is one of the reasons mass shooting is a thing with white men. It super duper is. And it's like the like preview to incel culture. Like it's like, ooh, little taste. Mm, Here we go. Let's have Tyler Durden. Well, it is absolutely incel culture because the narrator, because you never know Edward Norton's real name, is the incel in the movie because he himself does not sleep with Marla Singer. It is his alter ego, Tyler, that does. Ew. So this is a big incel fucking red flag. This whole thing. And there were so many white dudes who were like, this is what I want with my life because my life is so hard because I was told that I was going to succeed from a young age and I'm not as special as I think I am. Well, guess what? You know who else was told they were special from a young age? Literally everyone in America. And you know who had it a lot harder? Literally everyone in America. I just, the whole idea of existing in a world where you are given every opportunity and then continue to perpetuate the idea of you being a victim kills me. I can't. I can't with these people. And the fact that they, you know, uh, the idea of white middle America having this unseated rage to tap into and it being healthy and good and a way to bring down the system is so destructive and such a mess and I know I'm crying my snowflake tears right now, but let me cry them because I'm so mad. Like, I I can't with this movie. I can't. I, this movie exhausted me. It emotionally exhausted me because it was so much bullshit to wade through. Well, and I also love the fact that, like, Edward Norton's character made his alter ego so much better looking than himself. Oh, my God. Because, of course. I mean, yeah, why not? And, like... I think Brad Pitt even has a line where, like, he's like, I look like you want to look. I fuck like you want to fuck. I live like you want to live. Which, like, look, I mean, uh, we all would love to have an alter ego that looked like Brad Pitt. Like, that would be the dream. That's not life. And, like, that's not an excuse to be a huge source of pain and anger and destruction. Like, that doesn't justify your behavior you fucking incel piece of human garbage i can't of course we now the the problem with the upcoming generation now which kind of ties back to this movie is a lot of teenagers pretending that they have multiple personalities oh no is that a thing yeah if you go if you go on tiktok in particular, there are lots of videos of people being like, yeah, I have several alters. And it's like, you fucking don't. Oh I promise God. you, you don't. That's been like a huge plot device to justify shitty behavior and then be like, oh, see, but they don't have an arc. They're just, they're a good person. It's just their alters that are shitty. Right. Like, um, oh, that James Mackle, that, that, uh, that movie, M. Night Shyamalan. It's in oh, the Glass Split? series. Split. That's super destructive because, again, you see, like, like multiple personality disorder is a very uncommon situation. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, like, people use it to justify bullshit behavior um, in the media is such, it's such a thing. destructive crap. Yeah. Um, I hate it. I hate it so much. 
I hate this movie so much. This movie's garbage. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Okay. I hate it. (laughs) Me too. No, me too. And I'm very sorry that I was the reason that you had to watch it. It's okay. I needed this in my life because I needed something to feel angry about. Fight Club is going to make me start my own fight club. It's going to be great. It's just going to be a bunch of women yelling in a basement. I mean, this screaming. Fempop is the female fight club. <laughs> I'm going to say it. We're just, yeah, that's just fair. yelling. Just hags screaming is like the, the vibe I want to go for with my fight club. That's great. Okay, so uh, what have we learned? <laughs> Oh my god. We've learned that to be a manic pixie dream girl, you have to be quirky. Living in poverty while not actually being poor. Great. Love it. Prescription medication? Fuck that. But drugs? yeah. Hell yes. Uh, If you want to be a a manic pixie dream girl, just go up and randomly start talking really quickly to people. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. that's the other thing. All dialogue is quick and snappy. Oh yeah. It's like Gilmore Girls, but like a little sped up terrifying we're always doing something that's slightly illegal but it's fine because it's quirky and it's against the man and because we're white women so it's safe don't worry we'll be fine uh we're always sexy but in a non-threatening way like oh yeah yeah absolutely never actively sexy we don't you don't put work into it no no we wake up this way and a lot of times you just stumble in upon us on a room where we're just getting dressed and, oh my God, yeah. but let's make out. You know, some days I roll out of bed, throw on my favorite 90s grunge band t-shirt mm-hmm. and a floral print skirt and some roller skates mm-hmm. and just go out to embrace the day, you know, pack my uke. Yes. You ukulele know? is essential. Uh, we've always got a sweet soundtrack. Always. Yeah, of course. Of course. Of course. Really solid musical taste. Um, to completely mask yeah, um, any and all issues. If, if you're a middle-class white man, your life is really, really hard. It's so hard. Oh God. And we are here to help you and walk you through it. And if you decide to be with us at the end, oh my God, that's so sweet of you. That's so nice of you. It's so nice that's of so you. so nice of you. And you know what? Thoughts and prayers for what, what middle-class, cis, straight white men are going through. Like, it's... Yeah. It's hard out there. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. Ew. Ugh. <laughs> I'm so mad. I hate every rage uke. I'm just gonna go whip out a ukulele and play some hardcore metal. You better watch out because Fuck that's it. how you end up in Mumford and Sons. <laughs> a Metallica cover on yeah. a ukulele. Post it on YouTube. Boom. Boom. All right. Is there any anything else you want to say about this hey, trope to our listeners? I'm just so tired, everyone. I'm so tired of this trope and of just constantly seeing women put in the position of support role for unextraordinary men. I I'm real tired. That's just, I just, just take care of yourselves. And I guess if you want to roller skate, roller skate, but don't do it for anybody in particular. Do it for you. Yeah. Don't get into that relationship with that 30 year old man boy and constantly do all the work. Don't tire yourself out trying to be quirky. 
don't do that. Just like the things you like, do the things you do, be you, and don't worry about these gross men. They're so gross. God. And you know, maybe if you're going to date a guy, make sure he owns his own bed. Yeah. That's just my big dream. You know, also something that Edward Norton's character didn't really have. I mean, he had a bed at the beginning, but then his house blew up and uh, he slept on the floor from then on. He blew up his own house. He did. Live he, in a shack. He blew up his own house to be impoverished because, again, being poor or pretending to be poor without actually being poor is great. That's it, dear listeners. I hope you are as enraged as I am and as I'm sure April is. Mm. And um, just be vigilant. Don't put up with these tropes anymore. Every time you see them, call them out. Don't let men be these tropes in real life call that shit out it's the only way we're gonna change this shit thanks for coming on april anytime i'm i'm gonna go take a nap now (laughs) same (laughs) all right listeners i'll see you next time probably talking about gay bffs stereotypes but maybe something else who knows we'll see what i have the energy for Bye.